Mandrick, political columnist for the Regina Leader Post. And welcome to our third episode of Campaigniacs. Actually, the first episode, well, there's an actual campaign going on that started just yesterday. Uh, with me today are Arthur White Crummy of the Leader Post, who was very busy covering campaign events uh, yesterday. And Phil Tank of the Star Phoenix, who will be doing the same today because everybody's moving up to Saskatoon, which I think is going to be the pattern that we're going to see uh, throughout this campaign. Back and forth to Regina, Saskatoon, another Highway 11 campaign, uh, which uh, kind of makes me a little sad. I like the days when they got out. But I, but I want to start with the, the launch yesterday, Arthur, because you covered the launch yesterday and you've actually covered uh, uh, both uh, – Opposition leader Ryan Miley and Premier uh, Scott Moe for a little while. I found some really stark differences in terms of how they presented themselves on the opening day of the campaign, starting with Moe maybe being a little uh, less of that earthy, uh, uh, straightforward Scott Moe uh, uh, guy that we've seen uh, a guy that offered a lot of answers that sounded awful political to me, which is not his strength. And I saw a really different Mo Ryan Miley yesterday, far more feisty. And you wonder where in the hell that guy has been for uh, the last two years, six months, uh, two months. Let's start with, with Scott Moat. Uh, uh, am I right there? What, did, did you send? Yeah, I think that he definitely came out swinging and we saw him uh, really launching into some political attacks, which... Uh, um, at times, like it's clear that he's trying to paint a picture here of 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 uh, of of two choices that voters have to make, and he wants to fight this battle exclusively on the economic recovery. Now, in order to do that, he's really going back in time and trying to use the NDP's past as a cudgel against the NDP's present. He was going back and looking at hospital and school closures from back in the 1990s. At the same time, he's also trying to cast Ryan Miley as a reckless uh, spender. And uh, it's interesting to see how those two twin attacks are gonna sort of cohere with each other. Do they work? Like, do you, do you, do you sense something that uh, is is going to grab hold of the, the voters because I think they work for the base. I think they work for people that have already made up their minds. And when you've got two thirds of the vote, maybe that's what he was going for. Uh, I don't know, but I, I'm a little curious as to why uh, everyone thinks he would have announced the the campaign in this particular way in the middle of a Regina riding um, where maybe that doesn't resonate as much. Maybe there's other issues like COVID-19, like other things that uh, are more uh, uh, are more top of mind to voters than what happened 13 or or 16 years ago or 20 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 not sure that a lot of people are thinking about Lauren Calvert and Roy Romano right now. They, as you said, probably have more pressing issues on their mind. But uh, this is the contrast that Mo is trying to paint, and I think the choice of where he made the announcement was instructive. And he told us exactly why he was doing it. He was just outside of Harbor Landing, and uh, he wanted to use that as a symbol of the growth of Saskatchewan under the Saskatchewan Party. Uh, and uh, again, comparing that with what he framed as the NDP dismal record of decline. I don't know how much the SAS party can take credit 
for the construction of Harbor Landing, but it seemed at times that he was trying to do that. <laughs> well, it, good question. I think it was a great, uh, I think it was his best point in yesterday's announcement and and far better than the point about uh, uh, we're status quo, but we should be all excited about that. Uh, yeah. If you look across that field to what wasn't there before 13 years ago when the NDP were in power, well, it wasn't Harbor Landing. It was it was uh, actually where they dumped the snow and and the junk and uh, from uh, Regina. So, like, I mean, that is progress. And I think the more you associate uh, the SAS party with progress and population growth and advancement, probably the better. That is problematic for Ryan Miley. But I saw Ryan Miley come out squarely aiming at Scott Moe, a lot feistier, which is what many people in the party had encouraged him to do long before. Why in the hell did he wait to the campaign to do this? Well, I mean, we've heard this kind of messaging from Miley before. I think you're right that 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 it was a little bit more forceful, a little bit more aggressive, a little bit more cutting than it has been. But he, it's the same case that he's been making every time you find a moment to talk to him in the lead up to this campaign. He's saying you have a choice between cuts and investment. We're offering investment. The SAS party is going to go back to what they tried to do in 2017 when they had to balance an even less severe budget deficit. Uh, he also came out trying to criticize Mo's status quo approach as boring, uninspiring, totally um, um, inadequate for the scale of the challenge that we're now facing. One thing that he also tried to do that I'm not sure that 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 we've heard enough of yet is to try to undermine the SAS party's credibility on the economy. Yeah. He says people are struggling and the government is ignoring them. But as of now, I'm not sure how much that's going to stick so long as we have the lowest unemployment rate in the country uh, and we are the closest to our pre-pandemic employment levels. And that's something yeah. that Mo really stressed during his campaign launch event and I think is going to carry him really far. This is a good point to bring Phil in the conversation because I have always thought you got a better sense of uh, Saskatchewan from a Saskatoon perspective than Regina, because Regina tends to be too close to government and too close to a lot of things that tend to be political. Uh, the everyday meat and potatoes issues, uh, I think, resonate in both cities, but maybe in Saskatoon, where it's less of a government town. Now, my, or sorry, Mo is making an announcement today related to uh, a home improvement uh, tax credit. Sounds a little bit like uh, a 1980s deal, but I actually think it's a great move. Like, I mean, I, you know, it, 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 that's Mo's brand. He's the guy that's the average guy. I'm fixing up my home. I'm I'm doing this. I'm I'm. Uh, do, am, am I wrong here? Do you think that works as is as well as it could possibly in a city like yours, where you know it's suburban, people really want to move forward and uh, on with their lives and get past this election and COVID and and on to the next thing. Yeah, pro I, it probably is a good announcement here. It's interesting that they have competing announce uh, that he and Miley have competing announcements at, uh, yeah. at the same time uh, this morning. So uh, I, I do think both parties see this as a as a battleground that uh, you know they both would like to make gains. There was some close uh, contests back in 2016, and you know there's some veteran NDP uh, MLAs who are retiring. So I think the uh, the SAS party is viewing um, you know Saskatoon as a fertile place. I'd just like to mention that you know um, the SAS party does focus on the NDP from 
you know, the 1990s. But I do think that the rural hospital closures still resonate. Uh, yeah, you I know. think they do some. Yeah. So, uh, but it's interesting that Miley made an announcement on Friday here in Saskatoon about their plan for rural health care and was sort of start, starting to hit Mo and, uh, you know, cuts and uh, reductions of, uh, of rural health care under, under this government. And of course, you know, when, when I said, asked him, you know, uh, of course, when you ever the NDP mentions rural health care, they're going to talk about the hospital closures. And he actually referred back to the divine government and said, well, of course, the Romano government inherited a financial mess from the divine government and and clearly connecting the SAS party, which d doesn't like to talk of its about, you know, its past in the progressive conservatives of that era very much, but does love to talk about the NDP under Roy Romano. Well, I'd like to explore that a bit more for a second. It's interesting because I get how firming up your base with the legend of the 52 hospital closures in rural Saskatchewan, plus the Plains Health Center in Regina, uh, still has uh, a lot of cachet in rural Saskatchewan that that, that people are still uh, angry about it with a perhaps older uh uh, electorate around there, they're going to remember it longer, and they're certainly going to hang on to issues like this. And I think it's one of the big reasons why the NDP just absolutely can't get traction uh, outside the cities. And uh, but I, I'm curious uh, what you said. Like, how does that sort of resonate resonate uh, uh, re resonate? <laughs> here we go uh, in Saskatoon, where there um, is. Uh, more of a dynamic city that has four hospitals, including the, uh, the new uh, Jim Pattison Children's Centre. Uh, what kind of works there, uh, do you think, in terms of, of Scott Moe reminding them about the past NDP? Is it just because it's also a reminder, hey, the city's building and growing uh, under uh, uh, our government? And do you remember what it was like under the NDP? Yeah, I, I do think, I mean, you know, to have this bright, shiny new children's hospital, uh, and, and, and and I should point out, I not have the North Battleford Hospital, which has been plagued with uh, issues, uh, you know, obviously that happened under this government. Not sure it wouldn't, would not have happened if the NDP was in charge. So, um, but it is something that, you know, probably in voters' minds, like, yeah, hey, we have, we have this new hospital. And it, of course, it's a children's hospital, which is, you know, <laughs> it's hard yeah. to lose with uh, building a children's hospital. So, yeah, those those are sort of issues that uh, that do resonate here. Where does Miley's message resonate in Saskatoon, uh, being a bit more of a sting message, a bit more of an attack on uh, government? I get it in Regina because there's areas in the northern suburbs uh, that are, you know, where people are kind of struggling because of COVID and because of uh, the federated uh uh, co-op lockout and a few other issues. Uh, where would Miley's strategy of directly attacking Mo be most effective in um, in Saskatoon and maybe the northern half or the the more northern half of the province uh, that you're more familiar with? What's he going for there? Do you think? Well, it's it's you know it's a it's an uncertain time right now, right? And it, and it, it's hard to even say because we we know some restaurants have closed, we know some businesses have closed, we know you know like I did lots of stories during the pandemic about. I always made sure to ask how many employees did you lay off and how yeah. many did you bring back and that sort of thing. So it's tough to say. I mean, you know, to say that we um, we have the lowest unemployment rate in the country is still you know there's still are people suffering you know out there and. Um, 
I don't think we have uh, a full sense of what that's like yet, right, for some people. So some people might be saying, um, yes, I'm struggling, but those same people might say, I don't know if a change in, change in government is going to solve this, right? Because I mean, people are aware that this is not, you know, the SAS party is doing, uh, and the NDP will not solve the pandemic either, right? Like some scientist with a vaccine is going to solve it at yeah. some point. Are um, we still... So, uh, it's interesting, guys, are we still on the cusp of change in this province? Because when I talk to people, uh, what I think they're looking for is sort of a return to how good times were in 2008, 2009, when oil prices were high. Obviously, that might not happen ever again. It quite likely uh, might not happen uh, in our lifetime. Uh, but is there a sense in uh, this in the cities that people do want that set that steady as she goes Scott Mo thing, or are people do you sense starting to feel it a bit more and offering Miley an opportunity to to speak to the to voters in his message that uh, that you know things aren't great and we can do better than uh, Scott Mo is offering us with the status quo. Arthur, what's what's your thoughts first? Well, whenever you push that. Uh Whenever you push Scott Moe about his status quo uh, vision and, and and ask why people should be inspired about it, he 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 starts talking about the growth plan and he starts talking about things like population growth and job growth and 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 you know sending our exports all around the world and focusing on these commodity based industries like food, fuel, and fertilizer, you hear him say all the time. So I yeah. think that there is a sense that, that he loves the alliteration. Loves uh, it, it, it seems like they are trying to recapture that magic of the boom years. And status quo, steady as she goes, doesn't mean more of 2020 by any means. Uh, the SAS party wants to convince you that it means a return to the good years under Brad Wall. So I think that that's very much alive. So long as we're talking about the past though, uh, which which is something that we did hear a lot about t uh, yesterday, uh, one thing I found very interesting in the government announcement today, sorry, not the government announcement, the SAS party announcement, right, right, yeah. uh, <laughs> about the home renovation tax credit <laughs> is that they explicitly excluded jacuzzis. Yes, isn't that funny? <laughs> which, which, which will not be a uh, uh, part of the home renovation uh, tax credit offering. You will not be able to get money back for your jacuzzi. And it seems like they are preemptively trying to safeguard themselves from some of the criticism that the Grant Divine government faced for their uh, expensive uh, home home renovation uh plan way back in the day. So uh, that's interesting. And it seems like both parties are trying to fight a battle over affordability here, which I think speaks to some of the anxieties that Phil was talking about. So even if people aren't necessarily going to blame the SAS party for the pandemic driven economic downturn, they are looking for help. And both parties are trying to offer that. The SAS party already through this home renovation tax credit, and we're likely to hear other offerings in the same vein, and the NDP already through those SGI uh, rebate checks, right? So I think that we're going to hear more announcements in that vein in order to respond to some of those anxieties. Is this just a middle-class election field? Like, I mean, is it just one that's going to be fought on middle-class issues like that? 
Well, I was just going to mention the mayoral campaigns in both cities are yeah, taking place at the same time. And there's a lot of talk about 0% property. I believe Michael Fougere in Regina has said he wants a 0% property tax increase. A lot of people are really skeptical here. We have Don Atchison from the boom years trying to remind people how good things were under him. And he's promising a zero or pledging a 0% property tax increase. So it is, I, I do get the sense that the people who are out there door knocking, and of course, some of the municipal candidates have been ahead of the provincial ones, are hearing concerns about affordability from, from the middle class, from the suburbs. You know, the suburbs in, in Saskatoon are, is generally considered SAS party territory. So, but th there are concerns about affordability, you know, uh, again, because of the pandemic, right? Like people have less money, they're more cautious with their money, they're, you know, put off big purchases, that sort of thing. So I, I do think that's probably the case. Well, let's talk about that in terms of the next segment in uh, Campaign Acts this week, because you were talking about racial inequality. Uh, and I think that actually ties indirectly to economic inequality uh, and and such. How? What did you find out in your interviews and your piece? And, and tell us a little bit about it before uh, you introduce it before the, the next segment, Phil. Yeah, well, I spoke to Rhonda Rosenberg, who's the executive uh, director of the uh, Multicultural uh, Council of Saskatchewan, and uh, Cowessess First Nation Chief Cadmus DeLorean. And uh, what was interesting is that we, we, we uh, reported on a poll earlier this month where people mentioned the um, top issues for them. And of course, the economy, or sorry, healthcare was number one, uh, followed by um, followed by uh, the economy, followed by education, and nothing else broke. You know, was was real. So no one mentioned racism, racial equality, which is kind of surprising when we saw the reaction to uh, Black Lives Matter and all those people marching. You'd think someone would have said, you know, racial equality and 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 that sort of thing. So, but what uh, Rhonda Rosenberg said, what she'll say in the next segment is that you know. Uh, all of those issues have to be looked at through a racial lens, right? Through it, you know, is the economy, is healthcare, because they all affect uh, people. I mean, we know that, uh, you know, we've had the, uh, as I almost said the premier, the Saskatchewan party leader, Scott Moe, when he was premier, say, uh, acknowledge that there is racial inequality, that there is systemic racism in the province. And uh, so that's the sort of things we, we were talking about in the, uh, in the uh, next segment. Also, uh, I'd like to point out that uh, I asked the parties, you know, what their what their slate of candidates looks like in terms of diversity. And the NDP, uh, you know, this, that's kind of their bread and butter issue, uh, diversity. So they have 23 percent Indigenous candidates and another seven who are uh, visible minorities. The SAS party gave me um, nine names of people who were like uh, visible minorities or Indigenous. So, uh, and that's getting close to where where the population is, right? There's mm -hmm. about 11% uh, in, in, in the last census, about 11% visible minorities and about 70% who claim Indigenous heritage. So the parties are doing a better job of reflecting, you know, the real face of Saskatchewan right now. Do you think it'll be a big campaign issue or a issue uh, at all? Because I, I think as you point out, it's going to be a bigger issue for the NDP to try and make it an issue than it is for the SAS party to perhaps be worried about that's going to cost them votes to be completely crass about it. Uh, well, I, I'm not sure we're going to talk about, uh, and again, it's it's surprising that we're not going to talk about yeah. uh, racism. We might talk about police oversight. You know, there might mm -hmm. be, uh, that, that seems to be an issue that you can put some pressure on, on the SAS party on, um, because I think, I think that's probably one that most people want, uh, you know, 
it, regardless of your uh, what your feelings about uh, racial inequality or, or anything like that. Um, so it, there, it could you know it could creep in in ways like that into the campaign. I think. Yeah. Well, I'll get out of the way and and. Uh, and move forward with your piece because it sounds fascinating. A great job as usual, Arthur, Phil. Thank you so much. Uh, and I guess we'll see you next week or we'll see someone next week or we'll see you on the campaign trail. Good luck. Yeah, thanks. No thanks. Welcome back to Campaigniacs. I'm here with Rhonda Rosenberg, the Executive Director of the Multicultural Council of Saskatchewan and Chief Cadmus DeLorme of the Cowessess First Nation. In this episode, we're going to take a look at the state of racial equality in the province. Welcome to both of you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, now, to start off with, I'm going to take us back to this summer, uh, uh, something we all remember uh, in the wake of the killing of George Floyd in the States. We saw um, protests, rallies here in Saskatchewan as well, and around the world. I want to uh, ask you both what you thought about that. Robert, why don't you go first? <laughs> okay. Um, so I thought that um, I, I thought that it was really interesting. Um, what kinds of things can really begin to mobilize people. And I think that to some extent, the, the combination of COVID-19 and the inequity of um, how it's impacting different people, combined with the sheer inhumanity of the video that we saw of, of George Floyd's murder, um, really combined to, to mobilize people and we saw in the um, communities of African descent and, and many of our members that, that there was a real desire to both have those public rallies that, that took place and also to meet with politicians and, and talk about what kinds of policy change would, would really be important to, to actually um, affect people's lives in different ways. Mm -hmm. Just to add on to it, I. I sense that um, quit apologizing and quit um, saying we're sorry or we're or someone's sorry and start changing behavior, start addressing the core policies. Um, you know, this country and uh, United States included was built um, at a time when uh, you know very male dominated, very pale faced, and uh, you know we really see it today in 2020. And um, these these movements, um, they're emotional. I, I believe many people could relate to, not just racial base, but even gender. Um, so um, it's we're in interesting times. And um, I think Canada is at a good place in Saskatchewan to um, make change. But um, it's the fear of unknown on who's going to make that change and who is going to stand up and be that true champion. Um, we're heading into a provincial election uh, next month, we, we all expect. Um, what would you like to hear from the parties uh, on, on, on the issues of racial equality in the lead up? I, I think one of the things that I would like to hear is that there is a demonstrated commitment 
to work with people at the grassroots and and like leadership like elected indigenous leadership levels that that I think that that's a really key thing to to figure out how to move forward that that is not just about thinking about what's going to fly well in the polls but talking to the people who are impacted most and 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 about their ideas to to move forward I mean we just saw Tristan Jerosha was was on the lawn of the legislature for um, about a month and a half and the the indicating a real willingness to to listen to people impacted by a variety of different issues and and thinking about what can we do with policy and programs um, in order to and and even in terms of who who are who's involved in decision making in order to actually affect change. In 2017, there was a study done. Um, out of all decision makers in this province, there's about 260 decision makers in this province. And less than 3% at that time were of Indigenous descent. And um, when I read that report, you know, it, it really shows how much Saskatchewan has to adjust. Um, Indigenous people, the first people, and I say Indigenous as First Nations, Métis, uh, Inuit are not really in this province, but we have some that have traveled from uh, from out uh, from outside to in, and um, you know we we have to adjust that um, to to 2020. Um, so when we talk about equality, um, we talk about decision makers. Um, Cows is right now we're working with the province on child welfare. Uh, Cows is First Nation. We're doing renewable energy products with SAS Power. So the willingness is there. Um, the, the opportunities are there. But when you read um, the Saskatchewan uh, growth plan, uh, when you, uh, you know, just, just look outside your window and you see, uh, you know, the change that is made, um, we have to understand that um, we all have to put down our shields and start talking about the elephants in the room in this province. Um, you know, uh, dear friend and hero of mine, Tristan, in, you know, understanding in the north, there is a true suicide epidemic. And, um, you know, we can't just call Saskatchewan a great place and ignore the north. Uh, in the south, south part of uh, Saskatchewan, we have uh, 34 First Nations in the south. Uh, we have a lot living in the city. So, so as a chief, you know, I'm definitely centric of the Indigenous perspective at this time. But, you know, this province has potential and um, I, I see the change wanting to happen. Um, I've talked with ministers, I've talked with the premier and um, no one is opposing it. I, I just sense that it's uh, you, who's going to be those true champions to actually start adjusting it. Yeah, and, and you know, I'm going to I'm going to uh, read you some statistics from the last census done in Saskatchewan. Uh, it shows that uh, 11% of the people here are visible minorities, 17% identify as having uh, Aboriginal ancestry. I just wanted to get your response to that. Do you think, I mean, I think that's probably reflected more in the cities than it is in, in uh, other areas, but of course there, there is the uh, northern Saskatchewan as well. Do you think people realize just how diverse a province we're becoming? I think people who are living in urban areas certainly do because the the 
you just have to go to the grocery store or walk around the park to to see that the face of Saskatchewan has really changed. So I think people are. I also one of the things I find really interesting is statistically Saskatchewan has a far greater percentage of newcomers moving into small communities than most of the country does. So even in smaller centers that there are far more newcomers and we know that Indigenous people, both First Nations and Métis, live in urban centers, big ones, small ones, some of the towns, and that there's interaction between reserve communities and, and towns as well. The, um, you, you go into city centers now, you go into the malls to the schools and you see the, um, you know, um, the diversity, it, it's real. Uh, in the countryside, it, it's starting to get a little more diverse, but, you know, the country still has your uh, population of, uh, you know, your um, generational Saskatchewan people. Um, you know, just to bring up, in 2018, when the Colton Bushi uh, rendered its case decision, um, I was so thrown off at the reality that happened as a proud Saskatchewan person, as a proud First Nation person and even the old neighbors of Cows's First Nation in in southeastern Saskatchewan, they our, our store our store profits went down for a couple of weeks because mm-hmm. non-Indigenous people didn't know should I go onto the reserve should I not, and you know and I had my own First Nation people tell me I'm scared, Chief, to travel because if I run out of gas, do I go knock on that door now? And it, it really was a time in history for me to say, listen, we're talking the talk, but really, realistically, there is uh, something we have to address, and that's the inequality, that's uh, uh, ignorance, um, and it all relates back to the topic that we're talking right now. So you're talking about that the racial tension in the wake of that had, you know, was coming from both sides, because we saw, we heard, heard a lot about of about uh, you know racial comments about uh, directed at the Bushi family and the, and uh, and that sort of thing. You're saying it worked the other way as well. It, it from from a perspective, I sit in here as a as a chief of Cows First Nation, as a proud First Nations person, and as someone who I you know like to say I could walk in both worlds, both as a chief and just as a proud Saskatchewan person. I I sensed a, rea- a realistic at that time of. You know, things people don't normally talk about, you could sense the uncomfortableness. I think that there was a lot of fear and anger. And and fear is really a powerful emotion. And it drives people to do things that, um, that they might not want to do normally. Um, and um, sorry, there was a little chat. Thing that came up um, that that I think that that a lot of people, both um, indigenous folks and and non-indigenous folks, afraid of the reaction that might happen, and and just stereotypes that have built fear up. That that fear fear can fuel anger, fear can fuel violence, fear can fear can fuel like separation rather than coming together and being able to to really listen to each other and and so i think that we are living in a situation in which that that's still a major factor in in 
that that's about building a wall instead of creating bridges where where we can meet and and learn learn together and and figure out ways forward. Yeah, I think we all felt the tension after the Colton Bushi verdict and and after the shooting as well, right? I mean, it was it was a long time, and uh, you know that's two years now. Where are we now? How big how big is uh, has have we moved forward a little bit, or how big of a problem is racism right now? Yeah, I'll start on this one. You know, I um, I I have this conversation many times. Is is Saskatchewan, you know, a racist province? Is Regina a racist city? You know, I I don't I don't see it like that. I I know there is judgment. I know there's ignorance, and there's even people ignorant of their ignorance when it comes to uh, to reality. Um, I don't know if it's just a confidence in the way my parents raised me to just be too proud of an Indigenous person, but understand my role here in this province. Um, you know, since the Colton Bushi time, um, you know, lately since the Tristan, since even last year in the Stolen Children's Camp at the uh, at the park, um, you know, these highlight. And, you know, what upsets me is when I go on social media, when I listen to certain radio stations, it's as if people have to pick sides. And at the end of the day, we all go put our head on our pillow to the same land we share collectively. So, you know, I just think it's, it shouldn't be based as a pick and sides, uh, you, know, um, you know, I'm standing on principle. It's about, are we going to just let the next generation figure this out? Are we going to just stop being ignorant of our ignorance? And, you know, it, it goes a little bit of both ways, you know, both sides. And, you know, we just have to understand that we share this land collectively are we going to sentence another generation to figure this out? Or are we, as 2020, politicians, proud citizens, uh, new Canadians, new Saskatchewanians, let's just have those uncomfortable conversations. Let's understand First Nations as rights holders have been here since time immemorial. And how do we you know, move collectively together? Yeah, and I, I that, that that would be very much the perspective that I would bring to this too is that we need to find the ways forward together, and and again part of that is really understanding that we have a lot of systems based in colonial ideas, and that there needs to be a willingness to actually sh shine some light on them and see some change because they are they're designed to. Um, to, to exploit land and people for the benefit of, of a small group and and we really we are sharing this land and we need to find the ways forward so that that all of us can be har living in harmony living in in prosperity for everybody not just for some um I want to cite uh, uh, the results from a recent poll that we ran last week they asked people what the biggest issue in Saskatchewan, in Saskatchewan was leading up to the provincial election. Like obviously healthcare is always, you know, very big and uh, followed by the economy. Of course, there's a lot of concerns about the economy now and education. And nobody cited racism per se. Uh, there was a very small number that cited civil rights and another uh, that's a small number that, you know, in like 2% that cited uh, social issues, which of course could all be intertwined. How do you react to that? Is that just is that just that racial issues cover a lot of different territory? Because of course there's economic issues and there's health issues, you know, that sort of thing. How would you respond to those results? That is how I would respond to it, is that that we need to look at each of those 
big bucket areas, which are the major areas that, that our provincial budget goes to, right? Health and education and, and, and economic development. Um, all of them, if we put an equity lens on them, but racial equality, gender equality, um, the abilities, like, like if we really look at, at, if we look at any of those things through an equity and reflection lens so that all of us are fully reflected as contributors in all of those areas, I think that that would go a long way. So if we're not focusing on racism as, as it's in a box, but, but using it as a lens to look at a lot of other issues, I actually think that takes us further. Mm -hmm. Racism is a behavior. Um, any child born is not born to be racist. It's it's taught. It's it's um it's it's behavior that is watched in the homes. Um, I I find racism is um is almost like um something that is just a blanket and um you know the mental health, the education, the economics is the drivers to move past it. Um, you know I I could sense the different generations. Anybody under the age of twenty one. I don't believe they, unless it's taught in their own home, they don't focus on racism as someone from the age of 22 to 54 who grew up in this great province in the 80s, 70s, and 90s. And then you're 55 plus, you know, the way education talked about the first people in those times in those textbooks. So it's, it's, um, I, I just find racism is is a behavior, and um, you know I, I I'm a believer that if every child wakes up and walks watches their parents get ready for work in the morning, we can stop child welfare almost in one generation. You know, there's mental health there, there's jobs that are needed, um, education is needed. So um, I I I don't I I I understand how polls would not really say racism is is a high thing. It's because it's just so embedded in in many. It's it's almost like a norm, and we have to start talking about those norms as we're doing right now. Um, and uh, part of the racial equality issue, both in the states and here, has included uh, defund the police or police reform. Uh, what are your views on that? I'll go first. I see you looking so. Uh, um, you know what, cows is, I'm very proud to share that. We have actively about 20 RCMP that are from cows is serving across this country. Uh, we have many that are in city police. Um, you know, my interactions as an individual with police uh, has been respectively, you know, um, neutral. Um, I have uh, seen and been in situations where I've been explained of how, um, you know, some have felt that because they're indigenous, um, I've never, um, um, you know, had, um, you know, a black person come and talk to me about this, but I can only assume that they're probably in relation to it as to how they were treated and judged differently just because they were First Nation. And so, you know, when that happens as a chief, I talk directly with Chief Evan Bray about it. Um, I have talked directly with uh, RCMP, uh, F Division in this province about it. And the role that I play in it is educating and reminding that, um, you know, uh, make sure that you understand the true history, make sure you understand the situations. And I'll give an example, gang life. You know, gang life is, 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 a, is a, it, it's, it, a lot of it stems because peer-to-peer -peer group, the parent-to-youth to, to group was taken away at the residential school times. 
And so a lot of these, um, you know, gang members that I visited in jail that I've tried to understand why so I can help figure out how we could fix it. It, it, it all relates back to, to history. And so police are in a tough position. This province is in a tough position. But, you know, when your main question about defunding the police and that, I think, you know, we put too much onus on the police. I do believe they have to pick up their game in regards to a better understanding. But this is a mental health issue. This, this is a history issue. This is an ignorance issue. So there's so many within it. Yeah, and I think there's a couple points in there that I that I would just bring up again to to reiterate. I think that there are people in leadership positions in the police who recognize that there are real issues and are definitely working on them. Both, um, I also have a relationship with with Evan Bray and with F Division, and and that that there is a real interest on building relationships with with folks that often are targeted or distressed by interactions with the police. Um, and I, I totally agree with Cadmus that we're asking the police to do things that they're really not trained for and that, that we would be better off having other folks actually do. And I think that, you know, the words defund the police sound really scary because it sounds like we're not going to give any funding to the police to run it all and they're going to be gone. That's not my understanding of the people who are behind those movements are saying what they're saying is let's make sure that the people and organizations that need to do some of the work that police aren't really meant to do have the resources and the training and the people and the ability to be called on immediately so that they're the ones that go to a crisis situation and really are able to de-escalate it and not not end up with somebody shot. Okay, well, I'd like to thank both of you. That's uh, all of our time this week. It was a very interesting discussion. I hope it uh, sparks a few more discussions in the in the community and leading up to the provincial election. Uh, again, thanks for taking part. Thank you. Thanks, Phil. Good to see you, Cadmus. Yeah. yeah good to see <laughs> and thanks to everyone for tuning in to Campaniacs. We'll be back next week with some more analysis heading up to the provincial election.